Uh, we are going to get through Ephesians 4 now. So uh, open up your Bible, turn it on. 417 is where we're at. There's a lot in here, probably more than what we're really going to uh, be able to, to, to cover. So I'll see, if I can, I'll see if I can do a short sermon. I try to do them sometimes, it never works out. So we'll see what we do here. All right, I'm going to read to you four, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus Christ. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To, be put, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another." Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So Ephesians begins back into this whole journey, and, and remember the context of this is, is within the church, within the relationships of the church. Um, back to chapter, the beginning of chapter 2 reminded all of us that such as were you, as it talks about a whole list of folks who are in a bad way. Let's remember that, that when we start talking about this and it says, you know, uh, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, let's remember that we also did once walk in the futility of our minds, that, that we, each of us, have a, a, a way of seeing the world. Again, it's why one reason why we're doing this worldview uh, class is, is that we need to realize how much more, how much we've been affected by the deceptions of the world, how much the world's worldview has kind of stuck on us and got on us a little bit. And so it's really important to understand what is it to have a biblical worldview and how do we do that. But each and every one of us are equally in as much need as anybody out in the world of God's grace. There's none of you here, nobody here who's, who's good, who figured it out, who got it, who deserves salvation. But because of salvation, because of what Jesus has done in our lives, because he has went to the cross on our behalf, because he allowed himself to be subjected to humiliation and, and, and paid the penalty for sin so that we wouldn't have to, there is a new life and there is a different way of living that God is calling us to as his people. And we're, so we're supposed to get dressed. We're supposed to take off the old self and put on a new self. We're supposed to rightly align ourselves with who we truly are. We're supposed to understand the reality of our identity, that we have a, a new identity in Christ, that we are a new creation. That when God sees us, he sees us as holy, 
blameless, and beyond reproach. When he sees you and I, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our shortcomings. What he sees is he sees the righteousness of Jesus, which has been given into our account. And, and so we're supposed to not walk anymore in the same way as the world is walking. We're supposed to look a little bit different as a church. And, and the reason that they're walking in this, it says, is because of the futility of their minds. Therefore, it's why we have things like Romans 12 too, which reminds us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed and be transformed how? By the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Anybody here ever wanted to know what the will of God was in their life? Yeah, right? What's God's will? What is your will, God, right here? And it says right here, when we begin to be transformed in the renewing of our minds, when our minds begin to be renewed in the Spirit, we're, we're, we're living in the Spirit, we're hearing from God, our minds are being renewed, we're, we're, we're coming into alignment with who God is and what He's all about, we run headlong at that place into God's will for our lives. God's will for our lives isn't just this nebulous thing that we're supposed to seek apart from God. The reality of it is, is as we move in our, as, as, we're, as we're growing in our relationship to God, as, our, as God is changing our perception and His Word is, is, is soaking in and becoming the truth by which we live in and the worldview by which we see the world, it's in that space and in that place that the will of God is made known to us. Um, and and, and is that will is always good and acceptable and perfect. And, and so it tells us, though, this, that, that it's by the futility of their minds that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. And so there's, this, there's just this, this picture here that, that when, when we are in alignment with the things of the world, when we're thinking in the way that our former self used to think, when we're just agreeing with the world about who we are and what life is about and all of the big important questions of life. Remember, there's, there's really four major questions that everybody has to deal with, right? The first one is, is where did I come from? Next is, is who am I? The third one is, is, why am I here? And the fourth one is, where am I going when this is all over with? Those are the, like the big life questions. And, and, and so the world would tell you that, that you are, are just a, a random collocation of atoms, that there's really nothing to you, that, that God didn't actually, actually um, actively knit you together in your, in your mother's wombs. This is just all of, uh, the, the whole thing is just a process of just random acts that, that just happen to end like this. The second thing that the worldview would tell you is that your identity is is who you are, is, is what you have. It's your stuff, it's your things, it's your possessions, it's what you do, it's, it's all of the things that you could somehow kind of build up yourself and, and look better than, than maybe some other folks around you. It's what you drive, it's how much power you have, it's it, 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 the influence that you have. All of these things are things that the world is seeking. And all of those things are things that if we begin to try to find our identity in those things, we'll ultimately be left empty and broken because the world can't provide really identity for you. And the reality of it is, is this as well. When you, need to ch when you need change and I need change in my life, 
Your identity is the deepest place of change in your life. It's, it's the place that where, where real change begins to happen is when you begin to know who you truly are, it's a place where real change happens. You see, when we believe wrongly about ourselves, when we, when we have a skewed perception of who we are and what the world is, and we're listening to that, we're allowing that to shape our worldview, um, then we get lost in the reality of, of who we truly are. See, if you think that you're, you know, if you think that you're your past, or you think that you're your sin, or you think that you're this horrible thing that happened in your life, or that you've done, or, or, or something else that somebody else has done to you, if you believe that that's the nature of your identity, then you'll treat yourself in accordance to that. You'll open your life up to things in your life that, that, that you believe are fitting for that. Sometimes we even try to take the place of Jesus, and for things that we have done in our lives, we want to somehow suffer, believing that somehow if we could suffer enough, it would make it right. But you see, these are things that we're not called to. We're not called to be the sufferer. Jesus is the sufferer on our behalf. But you see, all of this stuff, when, we're, when we have it wrong, when we're walking in accordance to the world, it creates two things, a darkness and a hardness. It begins to callous our hearts. It's why the, the Bible, when it talks about the, the, the armor of God, one of the key pieces is the breastplate of righteousness. You see, because when we're doing the right thing and we're living in righteousness, there's a guard there for your heart. But when we, when we begin to open our lives up to things that aren't righteous, one of the effects of that is it becomes a hardness of heart. We get callous to those things because... Because we, it's just the effect of, of sin, open sin just in our lives as we just kind of live that out. It says that they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Because when we've learned Christ, you see, we've learned that, that life is about something greater than us. That, that yes, we're an important player in that, but that, but that our lives are really meant to be ex an expression of an outflow of Jesus in our lives, that we're supposed to be rooted and plugged into Him, and out of that, there's an outflow. There are things that are happening in our lives that we have actually taken the time to, to learn Christ, it says. So it's an interesting thing because this is a journey of the Spirit, of being aligned and, and having our spirit come to life because we've come into relationship with God. Remember, the whole issue of salvation is this idea that we were dead and separated from God in our sins. The spirit that God put inside of us is not active. It is not alive. But at the place and time that we recognize that we have a need outside of ourselves and we trust Jesus and his work on the cross for our sins, it says that the spirit of God comes in and it lives in us. And that spirit that God put in us comes to life. And then that spirit that God puts in us becomes a communication line. It, it's like all of a sudden, it's like you had a radio, but you had it tuned into the wrong station. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, he tunes that radio into that right station, and we begin to actually engage in a communication with God that we didn't have before. And, and we learn. And God begins to teach us. And, and um, some of you are sitting in the wrong seats, by the way. I just, you're freaking me out. You guys move around like that. I'm just going to tell you. But anyway, um, like Connie said, Connie said that, that, that uh, Connie, Connie just, uh, what did Connie say? I lost my train of thought. Connie said something. 
Um, shoot. Anyway, there's a picture for you. That's a little glimpse into my brain. Gone. But that we were taught in Jesus, that we grew up in Jesus, that we, that we have matured in this. And this is why discipleship is such a major part of the church. It's, it's, it's the recipe that God has given us, is that we would, we would begin to learn, we would begin to grow together. And that then, that we would actually put off that old self. Clicking, maybe. Oops. Romans 8, 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And, and I think that for, for Christians, this can become kind of a, a, a thing a, that, that we have to deal with regularly is like, is that old self and the new self? And it's like it's this place where the trail divides and there's a decision to be made. Will, will we go with our old self and our old pattern of thinking, our old way of coping and, and dealing with the, what, what we're trying to deal with? Will we, will we wear that old self or will we put on the new self and will we walk in that? See, the Bible says that, that if, we, if we walk according to the flesh, that we then are setting our minds on the things of the flesh. But of the spirit, then the things of the spirit. And, and uh, you know, think about it like this. It's, it's like you're going to go down a trail. And the more that you open yourself up to that, if you, if you open it up to the flesh and you begin down that trail, your, your mind gets set on the things of the flesh, which then takes you further down that trail, takes you further away from the other things. But, then if, but, but it works the other way when our mind is set on the Spirit of God, when we're seeking God, when we're seeking His counsel, when we're seeking the counsel of one another, wise counsel, when we're, when we're, when we're moving and operating in the way that the church was meant to operate in, which is, with, which is in fellowship to one another, challenging each other, it's going to show us here even a little bit, but that we really are to be people who understand that there is a spiritual way of moving through this, there's a, there's a, there's a path to take, and there's a wrong path to take. There's a path we used to take, each and every one of us used to take that, and the big fight and the big thing that's at war in our minds is will we go that way again? Will we allow that to win the day? Will we allow those old patterns and those old ways of behavior to win the day? Or will we feed our spirit and will we pick the right way? Because Not because of us, but because we've allowed God. You see, And it's this idea of taking off the old and putting on the new. It's the idea of, of understanding who you really are, what's really been done for you. That you truly are a child of God, that you've been purchased. That God loves you, that he has a plan for you. That he knit you together in your mother's womb, that there's no mistakes, and that, and, and that the things in your life, even the difficult and the hard things, that when we give those things over to God, he's the one who makes those things a useful tool. He changes things. He changes our path. He redeems the brokenness in us, but we have to take off the old and we put on the new. It's all available. The, the old is, is available to us still because we still have a sinful nature as Christians, but the new is always there. But the, 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 it's just like getting up. When we get up in the morning, what are we going to put on? Are we going to put on the old or are we going to put on the new? And I'll tell you this too. I believe this very much. The, the, the old man inside of us, that sinful nature, will do anything. It will do anything to sit on the throne of your heart. It will even emulate a spiritual person. It will even, be, it will even pretend to be spiritual. 
But we're not talking about being religious here. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about being religious. We're talking about being relational, about being connected to the Creator and walking in that. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I, I think that that's, that's a big thing that Paul is saying. Do, do that evaluation. This is all assuming that you have heard about him and that you were taught in him. That, that you've really trusted Jesus as Savior. One of the scariest things for me as a pastor, honestly, is, is knowing that, that I think that there are people that come here every Sunday that don't know Jesus. They, they come here regularly and they hear, but they've never really had, they never have gotten to that place where they've come to a place of recognition of their own need for a Savior. And they come because it's good and maybe they like the social thing of it and maybe it makes them feel better as, a, as, as you know, to being a good person coming to church or whatever it is that they're getting out of it, but it's, it's, it's about a relationship with Jesus. And so this is assuming that you've heard about him and that you were taught in him. Remember, it's not about coming to church. I mean, I love coming to I love it that we come to church. I love church. I love our church service. I, I truly don't come because I have to. I, I love to come to church. I love church, as messy as it is. But we have to open ourselves up and we have to become in process with learning about Jesus and about his ways. We have to open up our minds so that it can be transformed. We have to be open to what God has for us. But it all begins with salvation because God's word tells us that the, mat the natural person discerns not the things of the spirit for they are spiritually discerned. So if that spiritual aspect is dead within you, not tuned into the right station, you won't understand the things of God even. That the things of God only come alive when we come into true and right and real relationship to him. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. It wants all the wrong stuff for all the wrong reasons. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What's that saying? It's saying that we're deceived, that we don't get it. That in and of ourselves, the way that we do life and what we think that life is about, we need to put that off and we need to allow God to reshape our thinking. And this, this thing is this cooperation between the spirit of God that is within us and the mind that God has given us. That there's an intellectual, sometimes people say Christianity has, you know, it's just blind faith. No, it isn't. It's not blind faith. There's an intellectual component to this that is valid and that it's real. And the reason that it's valid and real is because God gave you and me an intellect. He gave us the ability to think. He gave us the ability. He wants us to think. And he wants to, oh, that's what it was, challenging questions. God can handle your challenging questions. Just be honest and real about it. Thankfully, though, that didn't happen at 2 in the morning because that's when it usually happens. It's like 2 in the morning, I jump up. I'm like, oh, challenging questions. That's what it was. Um, Challenge God with your, with your doubts, wherever you're at. He already knows anyway. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Uh-oh. Wait, wait. Okay, so when we put away falsehood, when we put away, and if we see it and it pops up in here, then we are called to speak truth to one another. Now, when we speak truth to one another, remember from earlier, how are we to speak it? Huh? In, in love, exactly. So we need the truth. I need the truth. You need the truth. 
We don't need fluff. We need the truth. We don't come here to hear fluff. We come here to hear the truth. And the truth is right here, and it's in Scripture. But, but we, need, we need to be challenged with that, and we need to challenge one another with that. When we see falsehood in one another's lives, see, see the call isn't for us to go out and tell the whole world what, what, what the world's doing wrong. That's what the church has gotten really good at. What the church is really supposed to do is challenge one another within the church, within the church body until we become a community that looks so different and so appealing to those on the outside that they can't wait to get in here and see what's going on. But, but what has the church done? The church just accuses everybody out there of, of course they're doing it wrong. It tells us right here that they're doing it. We know that. We know that. They, 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 they know that in a deep place, I believe, as well, also. They also know. Our job is to show the goodness and the love of Jesus and, and, and to have something in here that looks different. Our marriages, our parenting, our, 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 our thoughts on being in community, our generosity, all of those things have to look different for the world to believe that there's actually something valid and real that could actually help and change their life as well if they came in the doors here. Okay. Members of one another. Then, then it talks about this. It's funny how the next thing he talks about, he says, hey, you got to speak the truth in, to one another. Okay, you got to challenge one another. And then it says, be angry because you're going to probably get angry, right? When somebody challenges me with the truth, sometimes that's frustrating, oh, you know. You, you don't want to hear that sometimes. But it's interesting here. It says, be angry and do not sin. So let's just clarify this. Anger isn't sin. Anger is a good thing. Anger is one of the emotions that God gave us. Anger in itself is um, something that initiates change in the world around us. As a matter of fact, there are things happening in this world that should make you angry and me angry, okay? But what shouldn't happen is our justification to do the wrong thing. For me, I don't know about you, but sometimes being right is the most dangerous place for me to be because if I'm right, then I can easily justify doing the wrong thing. And so this is why it says be angry and yet do not sin, don't use your anger for a justification for sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? Well, some people take that a long ways. And some people will tell you even in like marriage counseling or something like that, never go to sleep until you got it handled, right? And, and I, I'm going to challenge that just a little bit. I think that's right to some degrees. But I can tell you that, that, that there's probably a time if you're fighting at 2 a.m., it's probably time to just go to bed, Right? It's probably time to quit fighting. But here's what you don't do. You don't let your su the sun go down on that problem. You take it back up. Because what happens, what tends to happen, especially in marriages, is that you get to a certain point and you're like, okay, let's just go to bed. And then what happens is the next morning you wake up and you're like, you know what? It's not such a big deal. Let's just move on. And then you move on and you do that enough times that it becomes a big deal. Because you've just taken little chunks out of each other. See this in marriages so often where, where people have just taken chunks out of one another so long that somebody gets really done. And then they're really done. And it's really tough to come back from that spot. Not impossible, but very difficult for people. And, and so what it means is it means to resolve your problems. Don't let the sun go down on it. If there's a problem... If there's been something that's wrong, if there's been an offense, make sure that you work that out. Don't let the sun just go down on it and a new day begin 
You need to resolve that. You need to resolve the issue. Your marriage will always be the better for resolving those issues versus just letting them go. And our relationships will be better when we resolve the issues versus just letting them go. Give no opportunity for the devil. Why? Because that is like a, he can run a freight train, freight train right through that hole right there, right? Uh, offense is, is a huge, unforgiveness, offense, bitterness, all of these things are the enemy's sugar. It just, it just uh, energizes him. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What's it saying? It's saying, um, be a giver. Don't be a taker. Your past life, you were a taker. Maybe you were a thief. Maybe, maybe that looks like all kinds of different ways. There are all kinds of different ways that we've stolen from God and from the world around us. And it's saying, you know, if you used to steal... Don't do that anymore. And maybe that's a literal thing too. I mean, I don't want to take away that. I'm sure it's a literal thing as well. But the reality of it is, is that each one of us have stolen things. We've all stolen things from, from God and from the world around us that we were meant to, to be givers and not just takers. See, the world isn't just this thing that's out there for me and for you to just get all that we can get from it. Every business deal, everything, we try to just get, 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 receive, receive. No, we're meant to be looking a little bit different, and we're meant to be a people who sometimes recognize when we've gotten enough, and that there's then an outflow, and we become givers into this world. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What's it saying? It's saying, remember what James tells us about our tongue, it's a fire, right? Just takes a little spark to set a whole forest on fire right? Life and death are in the tongue. God created everything in the universe just by speaking it. Your words are powerful. What we do with the words around us, and instead of resolving conflict, what do we tend to do? We tend to just go around and talk about it. We don't talk poorly about one another or, or what's going on. Instead of doing what the Bible says, which is going and facing it up with that person and talking to them, we, uh, we, we tend to just uh, go and talk about it. It's why, this, it's why gossip is such a destructive thing. There's probably no more destructive thing in the church than gossip. There just isn't. It, it, it tears things apart. It tears relationships apart. And it has an incredibly uh, debilitating effect on the church body. So, we're supposed to build up. Remember, life or death. Sometimes it's a great calibration to say what's coming out of my mouth is it going to bring life or is it going to bring death which one should i say it should i not life or death is it going to build up is it going to tear down maybe a good thought for how to some of those things as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption what does that mean i mean it just it just means that it means that we can shut down what the what the holy spirit wants to do in our lives. He's, he's active and he's working and it says don't grieve him. Don't, don't do things that are counterproductive to what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. And, and all of these things become this, this recipe. Don't be stealing. Don't be, you know, let's don't let corrupting talk come out. Let's don't live according to our own old selves. Let's, let's put on the new self. Let's recognize the reality of who we are and, and what's been done for us. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Means that we shouldn't hate on one another, right? We shouldn't be so hard on. Sometimes the saints are really hard on each other. It's the truth. Really hard. Much more graceful to the world out there than to one another sometimes within the church. This is telling us, you know. And why is it telling us? Because it's real. Because it's it's a real reality that other stuff happens and that difficulties come and how we deal with it matters. That it's going to happen because we're sinful people and all of that kind of stuff. And so we're given direction here that tells us, be careful with that. Watch out for that. Be ready for that. Be on guard against that because it's coming. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Just looking to that example. Put away the things that just don't produce good fruit. And let's put on the things and let's be connected to he who can produce the good fruit. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Christian's testimony and all the things that you're at work there doing and the things that we don't even know about, the things that are ongoing in that work, the things that you're going to do just because of a heart, a heart just to serve you and some some simple resources that that really uh, weren't a big deal for us. But we thank you that you take simple resources and that you, you multiply those things. That you're the God of multiplication, that as we invest into your kingdom, you're always multiplying it in ways that we can't see or don't understand or don't get. And so, Lord, we're praying for fruit there. We pray over the, the, the little church there in Bente uh, Cinco de Macho. How'd I do? Amen. All right. We, we pray for that church there, Lord. We're praying that you would just raise up just believers in that place, that salvation would happen. Lord, that revival would break out. Lord, we pray that just as the streets looked after Argentina won the World Cup, that they would look like that because because you've won, Lord, because you have have made yourself known in that place. So, Lord, we're just asking to take the the little thing and just multiply it and do a great work. And we're asking that you would do that here as well. That, God, that you would take just the little bit that we have to offer and that you would multiply that. That, God, that you would help us to be all that you call us to be as a church within our community. Lord, help us to be a church that if we weren't here, that our community would truly miss us. And Lord, help us as individuals too as we go out the door here this afternoon that that we would be mindful that you have work. You have things for us to do, that there's work that you have for us throughout our week, that you're calling us and you're using us. So help us to be plugged into that right channel that we might hear from you and that we might be moving according to your spirit and according to what you're calling us to. And Lord, help us to have just the right motive in that. Let us, let us do it out of the love and the forgiveness that we've received. Lord, after the, what we've experienced because we've come to know you, let that be an outflow out of our lives and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.